Today's podcast is brought to you by Elenco Animal Health and Kelly's Finance. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to the Weekly Grill. Today, something genuinely different. What does a meat company do after they've spent a lot of money on research and did everything that research recommended? Went headlong into marketing, supplying, again as the research recommended, only to have reality bite. And bite so hard, they made a decision to reverse almost all or much of uh, what the initial research had said they should do. James Madden, Managing Director of Flinders Meat Company. Welcome, you're on the grill. Thank you, Kerry. Thanks for having me. Now, was that opening remark fair comment that you listened, believed, followed, and to put it mildly, were extremely disappointed in the longer term? Well, I don't know about extremely disappointed. I think that as a business, we, I thought that um, being consumer-led was a good place to start and listening to what consumers want. And in the meat industry, you know, there's a lot of consumer research out there that you can access from MLA and other sources. And, you know, going back four or five years ago, we went through a process of rebranding our business. And part of that rebrand was trying to, you know, strategically decide what direction we should go in. And I thought, well, we need to be very consumer-led here um, and listen to what consumers are doing and what the trends are. And that was about the time that MLA had come out with their carbon neutral 2030 target. And so I was inspired by a lot of consumer research, which said to me that consumers were very interested in sustainability, very interested in, in carbon neutrality. And effectively, they said, you know, consumers were reporting in research that they were prepared to pay a premium for products and brands that uh, listen to their preferences on these sustainability issues. The, the core of what you promised as the part of this change, the core of what you promised was the world's first carbon neutral meat company. Do you think that would lead to increased beef sales? Oh, without a doubt, mate. Like I'm part idealist, part catalyst. So I was more than happy to, to go along with a carbon neutral program that I believed in, but I was certainly doing it because I thought it would give us a marketing edge and that consumers were saying that they would respond positively to it. At least that's what the research led me to believe. But, you know, four years down the track, what I've probably discovered is that what a, what a consumer says on a survey is not necessarily what a consumer does when they're in a shop or, or uh, out in the real world. And, um, they probably know what the right answer is on a survey when they're asked if they would uh, choose a sustainable product over a less sustainable one. But when real life comes to it, you know, and you're in the supermarket and you've only got 10 minutes and you need to get home and cook the kids dinner and do a million other things, there's a heap of other purchasing drivers across all categories, not just meat, that uh, I think now, you know, I've realized come before sustainability. Things like price, quality, freshness, appearance, convenience. Those things are, are being calculated in the consumer's mind before the sustainability type questions. And and I think that the surveys and the research that we uh, looked at when we decided to, you know, really try to make sustainability our point of difference as a business overstated the, the interest that consumers have in it. And I think consumers overstated it themselves. 
So, James, let's hear the uh, the Flinders story. You started on Flinders Island. For those unfamiliar, that's uh, about due north uh, from the northeast corner of the Tasmanian mainland population, about 900, I suspect, isn't it, James? Your family business was there, including a butcher shop. Did you have a butcher shop on the island? It is. So um, I finished high school, never went to uni, but um, my old man was a farmer from way back, and, and he had found his way into the meat industry one way or another, and and when I was about 20, he decided he was going to go start his own business. And he had this crazy idea to go and buy this tiny little abattoir on Flinders Island and with all of his life savings that he'd saved up and move his, move his life from suburban Melbourne to middle of the ocean, Flinders Island. And um, he recruited me into his, his get-rich-quick scheme, which you know, after about five minutes, we realised wasn't a get-rich-quick scheme. It was a lot harder than we either of us had ever imagined. But it basically involved an abattoir on Flinders, a, uh, a little butcher shop, and a farm that we leased as well. And we uh, we ran those facilities for about eight years. We ended up opening our own direct distribution business in Melbourne, selling the meat that we processed through that abattoir direct to restaurants and butchers. And in 2017, we finally decided that we were going to hang up the uh, hang up our hats on running abattoirs and, and butcher shops because it's not an easy life. And uh, I think Dad had, had sort of got to the point where he was getting a little bit over it. And we also realised that from our perspective, you know, having walked that entire supply chain right the way from farm to abattoir to butcher to dis- distribution direct to, to retailers and, and restaurants that it was a lot easier for us to make money by simply buying uh, a meat product from a processor and then value adding it and selling it to a restaurant or a retailer. So, so we you, decided to focus on that part of our business. So you changed from the Flinders Island Meat Company to the Flinders Meat Company and that's about when you were taking on this extensive research uh, ostensibly right. about, yeah. about what consumers want and what they need in terms of beef? That's right. So, yeah, 2018, we, we sold the abattoir on Flinders and, and we no longer had any assets there, so we needed to rebrand the company from Flinders Island Meat, which wasn't really appropriate anymore, and we rebranded to, to Flinders & Co. And part of that rebrand was, yeah, deciding what our strategy was going to be, what our point of difference was going to be, and, and what niche we wanted to fill in the market. And so, you know, there was a lot of talk at that time and there still is around purpose-driven companies and and having a strong company purpose. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty good. I think we need one of those. I don't really know what my purpose is in life, but I reckon we can probably come up with something for the business. And so we came up with a, a purpose statement, which was to cultivate a better food world. And the idea is that everything that we do as a company should be viewed through that lens and should align with it. And that and that ended and, up being the world's first carbon neutral beef company. Is that where you had yeah, to that, that, Yeah, that's right. So we, we knew that we had to do something that would align with that statement. And the first thing that we did, you know, I could see that the, the industry was moving towards carbon neutrality. And I thought, well, no one else has done it. Why don't we try and be first and, and sort of put our flag in the sand? So we engaged a, a carbon consulting company who by using life cycle assessments, calculated the carbon footprint of not only our our business in Melbourne with our vans and our warehouse and whatever, but also the carbon footprint of every kilo 
of meat that we sold as a business, whether that be you know, grass-fed beef from Victoria or, or chicken from Tasmania. James, I'm just wondering, so you had all this in motion. What did that mean? So did you have to buy offsets to balance your carbon footprint, the offsets of your own business Correct. and the offsets of your suppliers as well? Correct. Correct. That's right. So we, we were – I mean, we had some support from some of our suppliers who helped us with some of the cost of the offsets. But basically, that's that was the uh, best solution that we could come up with to kind of get to a carbon neutrality claim. We couldn't eliminate the emissions from from every farm that's supplied into our supply chain. So, so we invested in offsets, which – you know, theoretically would reduce or remove those emissions from the atmosphere. So, very, very fledgling industry, I would suggest at the time, James. Was that expensive? How much were you spending buying carbon credits and were they a forever purchase or just for a certain number of years? Well, it was certainly cheaper back then than it is now. The, the carbon credit market seems to have gone you know, through the roof since then and that's actually been one of the considerations with us changing our carbon program, which I'll come to. But no, effectively, you know, on a quarterly basis, we'd calculate how much meat we sold, what the carbon footprint of all that meat was, and then we'd have to purchase an equivalent amount of carbon offsets to, to offset that. And then when you buy them, they effectively get retired so they can never be used again. Time for a break from uh, On The Grill. Back in a moment after this quick message from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by CompuDose, a proven way to maximise growth rates in grass-fed cattle. CompuDose allows you to target and achieve specifications for most major markets, including MSA grading and feedlots. Contact Alanco and find out how CompuDose can grow your beef operation. Results may vary depending on nutrition. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. We're with James Madden. He's the Managing Director of the Flinders Meat Company. You had some very interesting uh, suppliers at the time. Uh, I just mentioned a few. Cape Grim, of course, the Vintage Beef Company. Roaring 40s Lamb, the intriguing Altair Company, which offers uh, grass-fed Wagyu. Were those companies yeah. on board with you in your mission to become carbon neutral? Yeah, they were. So a lot of those brands, you know, our main beef supplier in Victoria is Greenham, uh, which is a sort of medium-sized beef processor down here that focuses on very premium um, brands and MSA-graded product. Yeah, they, they were interested to see how the the experiment would go. I thought that it was going to absolutely take off and that we were going to pick up heaps of new business because chefs and retailers were going to go, wow, this is carbon neutral beef and lamb and this is amazing and we're going to brand this on our menus and we're really going to get behind this. But the reality the reality was that, mate, after sort of four years of, of pushing it, and perhaps we could have marketed it better, but what I found was that most of our customers didn't re- weren't really very interested in it and certainly didn't appear to be prepared to pay a premium for it. James, uh, all along though, you were uh, you had this high-minded mission for carbon neutrality, and it was based in the the bigger sense of doing your best in your own personal way to save the planet. I've probably come down from the clouds a little bit since then, Kerry. Um, I, I, that was another realization was that our customers didn't necessarily place a lot of emphasis on that either. You know, the, the carbon neutral claims was not a huge. Um, yeah, it was maybe a one percenter 
I think, but there were there were much more important purchasing drivers that sat well ahead of it that we needed to satisfy. And then in terms of being a purpose driven business, you know, it's I still think it's a nice thing to have if you can, but I overestimated again how interested customers would be in it. So we've sort of dialed back that um, that mission statement or purpose statement a little bit. We still have cultivate better as a as a sentence that underpins everything that we try to do as a company, but we've tried to I guess dial down the uh, the preaching a little bit and just focus on what has always been um, our bread and butter, which is premium quality meat, good service, and good practices. So at the time, James, what sort of premium was on the meat you were selling, you offering as uh, carbon neutral? Is it, do you have to pay well, we 20 25% no, maybe or anything like that? No, 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 no. We didn't charge customers any premium for the product. We absorbed it into our margins effectively. So you had this high, uh, James. You had this high input into your cost structure, and you weren't putting a premium on it for for the for your customers to say this is carbon neutral. Well, I sort of looked at it as a marketing expense. I mm. thought, well, you know, if, if we're going to spend, I don't know, fifty grand on on this in in a quarter, um, you know, let's put that in as a marketing expense, and we should expect to get an ROI of X whatever the ROI is in terms of new business or more secure business or, or whatever. And that was the bit that ended up falling down. We couldn't really justify the ROI. And that's why, you know, now as at uh, July of this year, we've, we've changed that carbon neutral program. And instead of offsetting every kilogram of meat that we sell to every single customer, we're only doing it for certain customers that actually want it and that use the claim. Um, so that's that's reduced the cost of the program significantly. It's reduced the number of offsets we're purchasing significantly. I mean, I I don't want this to come across as some sort of indictment on the the sort of drive for the industry towards carbon neutrality. I still think it's really important and um, and a good thing for the industry to do because we need as many good news stories as we can get. But I think that we need to be realistic in our appraisal of the importance that consumers place upon this sort of stuff and whether there is realistically going to be a premium on offer for it because, in my experience, the answer is no. And the benefit for um, carbon neutrality for us as an industry, I think, is probably more around social license, uh, future market access, and you know having a positive story that we can get behind. But... You know, the, the big issue for me with it, Kerry, was, you know, the, the carbon industry is very good at calculating the emissions from, from farm animals, um, but there's not a lot of recognition for the carbon that is sequestered as part of that cycle. And uh, that was one, one sort of sticking point that kept coming up for me was, you know, going, well, that's fine that we're offsetting these emissions, but... Where's the recognition for all of the carbon that's being sequestered in the plants that these animals are eating and in the soil? I think that that's still a question that we need to get better at answering as an industry. Absolutely. Now, do you think in one sense that you're perhaps just ahead of your time? Oh, I don't know, mate. Um, I really don't know. Look, no, I, I, I really do truly believe... Um, that consumers are more interested in things that are very real and visceral to them, things they can touch, feel, see, and taste. 
when you introduce a concept like carbon neutrality, it's very hard for a consumer, I think, to get excited about you know a little logo on a pack that, that talks about carbon neutrality because the concept's very it's very distant. It's very hard to grasp for a lot of consumers. It's perhaps a little bit confusing. So I think that carbon neutrality and a lot of these sustainability claims will probably forever be in that space of being a, a tertiary purchasing driver for a consumer. And I think we just need to be honest with ourselves about that and just remember that the most important ones that we need to satisfy are those primary decision drivers for consumers, which for me, I think, are quality, price, freshness, and convenience. And taste, of course. And, and t- Absolutely. That's number one. If you don't tick that box, it doesn't matter if you're carbon neutral or organic or biodynamic or whatever you are because you failed at the first the first tick box. Yeah, so what's ahead now for the Flinders Meat Company, James? Um, uh, I gather carbon neutral products are not completely off the menu, but will, will any customer no. can get them if they want them? They can. And so we have a number of customers in, in Victoria that use the claim on their menus and in their venues that, that we offset. Uh, we also do export um, some products. So our Roaring Forties lamb, which is packed out of MC Herd, uh, an abattoir in Geelong. Um, we've just picked up a new customer in Korea who um, specifically chose our brand because of our ability to, to deliver them a carbon neutral product. So that'll be going into a retailer in Korea and be labelled as carbon neutral. To be honest, Singapore has been a great market for us export-wise because they're very interested in carbon neutrality, probably much more than um, the domestic market we found. So in some markets, there's a real interest and, and probably a more advanced drive towards you know, sustainability and, and carbon neutral products that's probably a bit ahead of where we are domestically. But for the future for us, mate, I mean, we've, we'll continue to grow that, that lamb brand export. We continue to supply into premium food service throughout Australia. And, and we've actually probably not long after this podcast goes live, we've got a new range being launched into Coles nationally, which is a kid's range of meat products. So um, I've got two young daughters and uh, sort of, decided that I wanted to come up with something for them. And we've uh, put out a, a Paw Patrol branded kids range of sausages and burgers into Coles. So that's um, that's been a fun project for this year for us. Wow. Now, now you've raised my interest in another area. What, what does this meat look like? A smaller portions or a, a different taste or, or what? Yeah, no, it is, mate. So it's, it's a smaller sausage, so chipolata size, and we have small meatballs. Um, but the uh, the other thing that we've done with that product is we've hidden vegetables inside it. So um, <laughs> we've we've put thirty percent veg content into wow. the sausages and the meatballs, and we've tried to do it in such a way that the kids can't tell because that's always been a big battle uh, in my household. And uh, so far, it's it's passed the test. I thought we should also get a, a kids brand on board that they trust. Um, so that they don't get too suspicious of this, you know, new new product that they haven't tried before. If it's got a, a sort of mascot on there or a character that they know and trust, they'll be more likely to, to give it a go. I don't think you um, could. I don't think you could hide broccoli anywhere, mate. I don't think I'm all. <laughs> no, no, we we didn't try broccoli, and I don't think it would have worked. It's too green. But in the in the beef products, carrot works really well, 
And in the chicken product, um, uh, we actually use cauliflower and, and cheese. Um, so there's, yeah, you've, it, it's a bit of an art form and a bit of a science, but uh, we sort of saw that as an opportunity on the shelf for you know parents who are buying for their kids um, and trying to give them an option for a product which is actually being nutritionally designed for kids. We're talking with James Madden, Managing Director of Flinders Meat Company, back in a moment. Established since 1988, Kelly's Finance Group have the finance solutions when it comes to agribusiness lending, from property loans and livestock funding to machinery and vehicle finance. They are the experts in arranging finance on behalf of their clients that not only ensures market-leading interest rates, but more importantly, financing that is suited to your agricultural operations, not your lender's bottom line or their preferred security position. With access to an array of specialist and traditional finance providers, there's no job too big or too small for the Kelly's Finance Group team. Contact Kelly's Finance Group today for an independent and confidential discussion and how we can add value to your business moving forward. Welcome back. We're with James Madden. He's the Managing Director of the Flinders Meat Company. Let's just finish off on these uh, the carbon credits a uh, bit, James. Uh, the carbon credits issue, of course, is looming large over Australian farming and grazing. What have you learned from uh, your experience? Look, I think there's, I think as a concept, carbon credits check out because there are emissions from companies, from individuals, from certain activities which are just unavoidable. And I think being able to have a market where you know, those activities um, can can help fund projects on the land and on farms, which is going to help sequester more carbon from an atmospheric perspective is a net benefit because it's, it's a way to sort of economically encourage people to try and get more carbon out of the atmosphere or, or reduce the amount that's in there. I think the challenge is probably around... Um, making sure that we tell the story, you know, I suppose the carbon industry, making sure that they tell the story of how these credits work and, and why they're valid and making sure that there's a minimum of, of supplies and projects which, which don't pass the pub test. So I, I think that it checks out as a model. We've just got to make, I think the industry's got to make sure that the projects that are involved you know, we explain how it works in a, as simple terms as we can to consumers. Has that uh, somewhat dimmed your confidence in surveys relating to uh, what might be loosely uh, uh, called um, environmental or feel-good issues? Well, I think anything a consumer says has to be taken with a grain of salt. And just because they say it on a survey doesn't mean that that's what they actually think or that's what they will actually do. And you only really need to think about how you might answer a survey to you know, understand that. I think there needs to be, yeah, for any business out there that's, or, or individuals or farmers that are, are interested in these issues and what sort of consumer trends are, I think looking at what consumers say on surveys is, is one thing, and that's what I did. But perhaps what I didn't do was look hard enough at what consumers are actually doing and uh, what the actual numbers look like and what the behaviour currently is. And I think that gives a bit better picture of what we're likely to see in the future. And stick to those fundamentals, taste, price and availability, and a couple of others as well. They're they're the the simple things, and as 
you know, as sexy and interesting as sustainability and carbon neutrality is, I think it's a meat industry, you know, keeping a very strong focus on, on quality, um, tenderness, flavor, shelf life, appearance, you know, the, the MSA standards, um, continually improving those. I think that's more important um, than the, the carbon neutral project. James Madden from the uh, Flinders Meat Company. It's been a roller coaster. Let's hope your journey is now on a smoother plane and on an upward trajectory, especially with your new project with Coles. Thank you for sharing your story on the grill with Beef Central. Thank you, Kerry. Thanks for having me, mate. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan, and this is the Weekly Grill brought to you by Alenco Animal Health and the Kelly's Finance Group.